0: Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Val Karpov. Val, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, David. It's great to be here.
0: So, for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, uh, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah. I'm a principal engineer at Booster Fuels, which is a small startup based in the Bay Area. Well, not so small anymore. We've raised a lot of money. Um, And I'm also a I'm also the maintainer of MongOOSE, the popular ODM for Node.js and MongoDB.
0: Awesome, yeah, I know a ton of people have used your uh, that, um, yeah, that library. I mean, that's that's wildly, wildly popular. How did you, uh, yeah, how did that, how did that start? How did you get into that?
1: So to start out with that, let's go way back to 2012 when I first started working with Node.js. I, at the time, I was working at a high-frequency trading firm. And I was working on some event-based loop software in C++ that I really didn't like. And then I stumbled across Node.js and realized, oh, this is so much better. Why don't I just use this? So uh, between working on Node and Mongo, I just kind of found a tech stack that I really like to work with. And starting in 2012, I've been working on that ever since. So around late 2012, I ended up stumbling across Mongoose when it was still relatively small. At the time, it was being maintained by uh, Aaron Heckman, who, uh, who at the time was also working at MongoDB. Um, I ended up joining MongoDB probably middle of 2013, and Aaron ended up leaving MongoDB towards the tail end of 2013. Um, so after Aaron left, he, uh, he, st- he kept on maintaining Mongoose, but, um, but after a while, it uh, became clear that his new job kind of took up more time than he wanted to, and he didn't quite have time to work on Mongoose. So he sent out a tweet asking for maintainers. And uh, I was on the train to JFK Airport at the time. I was mindlessly scrolling through Twitter to pass the time because the air train takes forever to get around JFK Airport. <laughs> so uh, so mindless Twitter scrolling finally paid off for me. I got something good out of it. <laughs> and I, uh, I couldn't re- reply fast enough, sent a, sent a response, got push access later that day, publish access the next week. And, um, and yeah, I've been maintaining Mongoose ever since.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. Okay. So how, how has that experience been for you? Do you feel like that has been something that has helped you in any particular way? Like, is that, is that something that you recommend other people try and, um, emulate in some ways? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely recommend taking over an open source project. It's a great way to uh, get experience. Um, if you want to hear more about that, I talked a lot about this in my JSLA talk. Um, I believe it was a couple of months ago. But awesome! Uh, I'll short, put that in
0: the show notes.
1: Yeah, the short cliff notes version is: it's great to have your own open source project because that project sticks with you. Like um, no one can really fire you from from working on an open source project. So it's something where you're just not blocked by anyone's permission to uh, to basically ship what you want and do your best work. That's one of the things mm-hmm. that I love about Mongoose from the very beginning was like I got to more or less be my own boss. Even when I was working at MongoDB and uh, reporting to the Node.js team driver team lead, I was still mm-hmm. kind of like owning this one project. And this was kind of like a completely separate project that was more or less mine to uh to kind of make mistakes on, and uh, as well as learn how to do better and do things my way. And then again, oh. when I uh, when I left MongoDB and I moved, and yeah, after I left MongoDB, I also moved across the country. Then I moved the con- across the country again two years later, and Mongoose has stuck with me ever since. All through that, so I think that's <laughs> <Great>. uh, <laughs>
0: traveling Mongoose.
1: <laughs> so that's something that like is really great about open source projects. Is like if you have an open source project, that's yours. Um, and you keep reaping the rewards of having your open source project into the future.
0: Yeah, you know, you just you just mentioned the travel aspect, and and originally when you were you were saying that, I was just thinking like, okay, like why why does that matter? But then of course it hit me that so many jobs. I mean, it's very different today. I think remote is a lot more accepted, but you know, so many jobs have up until twenty twenty been very remote unfriendly, and so not only. Having your own open source project uh, is it not only useful because you don't have to worry as much about pleasing a boss or or getting permission to to do anything, but you also can take it wherever you are. Like you don't have to go into an office or anything and 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 go there to get experience. Um, it's kind of much more self-directed. Can you talk a little bit about um just the types of experience and that that you've liked um getting from that, that project? Let's see. The
1: best part of working on Mongoose in my mind is um is one, getting to um getting to kind of like own the entire project, everything from like doing the uh, the quote unquote customer support, responding to GitHub issues to uh to planning to uh to actually writing the code myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've been able, like, if I'm just doing that myself and kind of running that, I feel like I've been able to do a really good job with it. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's something that's given me a lot of experience in a lot of different areas, so I can kind of better relate to people in different roles. Like, I can relate to customer support people because I've had to, uh, I've had to respond to my fair share of customer issues and complaints on the mug's GitHub issues. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, I have, uh, I have like the ability to kind of like relate with product managers a little bit better because I've had to have actually organize a milestone and write some user stories as well.
0: Great. Yeah, that that sounds really valuable. Uh, I had a, a recent guest on, Jay Donnell, and he said something that I loved. It was basically in real estate, they say location, location, location. But now for engineers, it's almost communication, communication, communication. And it sounds like a lot of the experience that you had with Mongoose was really building those communication skills, either via issues or, you know, customer support. Uh, And it ultimately turned into you being able to handle and at the very least understand a much more deeply uh, those product manager perspectives. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think another thing related to communication that you mentioned, another thing that gave me a lot of experience doing was... Uh, Mongoose just really got me into blogging and making uh, making blogging kind of like a core part of my skill set because mm. um, you know, I've been blogging about Node.js for so long, probably like eight years at this point. That you know, I, I almost everybody has forgotten, and I've almost even forgotten that like I wasn't a very good writer about eight years ago. I, like, <laughs> I was really uncomfortable and awkward with the idea of publishing a blog post as recently as 2013. Um, and now I just publish probably three or four a week.
0: Oh wow. That's great. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're not if you're not embarrassed by your your old work, you know, years ago, then you're not trying hard enough, right? Yeah, I agree with you there. I've
1: (laughs) I've definitely there.
0: There's been a little bit of both,
1: right? Sometimes I look back and I'm like, "Ooh, that was really smart code. Who wrote that?" Oh, wait, me. And then other times I look back and I'm just like, "What kind of crazy person wrote this garbage?" And then I look at the get blame. I'm like, "Oh, I have no one to blame but
0: myself." (laughs) I've definitely had that had that moment where it's like, "God, who who wrote this? What were they thinking?" And then yeah, get blame was like, "Oh." Well, this is awkward. <laughs> so, uh, so that's cool. I mean, do you find, um, like, in your role as a, a you know professional engineer, do you find the like the skill of blogging to be helpful? Like, is that something that? Are there any skills in there that you you find to be core to being a senior engineer?
1: So, writing—that's how you get your point across in Slack. Um, if you're, uh, especially if you're a remote worker. Writing is key because that's your primary tool for communicating with your coworkers. And um, another thing I've been asked to do recently was, since I'm, since people like my content on my blog, my uh, my manager has been asking me to just write uh, weekly newsletters just for our developers, basically summarizing kind of you know why we made certain technical decisions or kind of um, decisions and patterns that we uh, that we use in our code that might not necessarily make sense to everyone because they haven't been around long enough to see uh, to see why we did this in the first place
0: mm-hmm.
1: so like that's something that's been very popular and something that people have liked a lot and also i guess the i guess one of the common things that people say about kind of like staff level engineers is staff level engineers are like you know force multipliers or whatever so uh, that generally means like you're not necess- you're producing code yourself but like your biggest you know, the biggest value that you provide is by making everybody else better. Um, so you're basically yeah. being the magic Johnson, not the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for, uh, <laughs> for your LA. Your LA sports
0: Love friends. it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah. The, the, idea, you know, thinking about that idea of the, the, like this weekly newsletter, right. It's, it's the, the work that you're doing, which is, You know, you're doing directly, right? You're not, you're not having somebody else write this newsletter. Like that is that's coming from you. But it's not that's not what you're you're selling, right? It's not really relying on you to be building a thing that your your customer or clients use, but the output is being taken by the other people on your team to make them more productive more efficient and so that that force multiplier i think that 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 is that mark of seniority you are you are able to produce things that are are make other people more productive right it's not it's not just direct output but it's output that's then then used to make other people um better which I think is a really good thing to strive strive for, right? Even even if you're just starting out, I think there are things that you can you can do and practice, um, so, such that you are thinking about that. And so as you you grow, you are going to be a much much more natural fit for uh, a senior tech lead, uh, staff engineer role because you you are already used to to being to like orienting yourself to to provide that that value um is that something that you you had been thinking about originally or did it just happen i don't know just as a a side effect of what you were interested in
1: i think it was more of a side effect i don't think i was really intending to even though i think it was more like 90 percent a nice side effect of the fact that i liked blogging and kind of 10 percent maybe some intention but there wasn't really much intention behind it
0: mm-hmm. so let's gotcha yeah. So, okay. So do you think that this is a particular skill that, that helped you advanced in your, in your career or has, have there been other ones that you've, you've found important looking back over, uh, the different positions you've held?
1: I'd say writing definitely helped. Um, for one thing, being a force multiplier, it's, it's easier if you're writing than if you're speaking, just because if you're talking to someone one-on-one, um, sound goes in their ear goes in their brain and doesn't go any further and it's no longer searchable mm-hmm. if you yeah. uh, if you yeah, have yeah, like kind of well-written documentation or kind of uh, blog posts newsletters something that's kind of providing some synthesis of the code that you wrote that can be extremely valuable because people can read it for uh, can search for it and stumble across it and then read it later whenever they uh, whenever they want to kind of the idea of like asynchronous communication where you don't necessarily need to be talking one-on-one to someone to communicate effectively. Um, especially mm-hmm. important with distributed teams. Like um, for the last five years or so of Booster, we've been working very closely with our uh, with a team out in Croatia. So mm-hmm. there, especially when I lived out on the West Coast, there was next to no overlap in, uh, in business hours. I think um, there were definitely times of the year where we were uh, where we were nine hours behind Croatian time. So there was literally zero. <laughs>
0: Right. So that, yeah. uh,
1: so there you need to communicate. Uh, you need to communicate well in writing. And that's kind of one of the things that like helped Booster be successful and helped me be successful at Booster.
0: Nice. Are there are there any other types of skills that, that you'd recommend people work on because they, they've helped you?
1: One skill that I talked a lot about in my JSLA talk was uh, a skill that, you know, I really resisted for a very long time. And a lot of developers resist as well as, uh, as promoting yourself and promoting your mm. work. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of developers kind of like we, or at least I did, I got into software engineering because I kind of like, you know, like sitting in front of a computer and uh, and tinkering with code. Like it it wasn't necessarily a career choice so much as it was like a choice of, I really liked sitting in front of a computer and tinkering with stuff. So it seemed like a great career choice or at least (laughs) as good a career choice as any. Um, But I didn't really think like, oh, I need to, uh, I need to like know how to promote my work properly. I need to understand how, like, I can make my manager's life easier by basically telling them exactly all the great work that I'm doing. Like, that mm-hmm. wasn't really a skill set that I had uh, had developed, and and it kind of seems it's a little off putting to a lot of developers, but I think it's something that like you, if you want to get from junior to senior, it's something that you need to kind of push through, because. Um, I've seen uh you know I've seen people who were like not excellent engineers like solid engineers but not uh not jaw-droppingly good that were like 2 years out of college that got promoted to senior engineer and then I've seen people who were uh who were basically 10 12 years out of college and were still junior engineers despite the fact mm-hmm. that they were doing great work and the difference I kind of saw there was uh, was one doing a better was self-promotion and also uh also kind of being in like the right position uh, internally in the company to get promoted.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'd really like to hear, yeah, from your perspective, like what is that difference between a junior and senior engineer?
1: So there's kind of two answers to it. Um, the The real answer to it is like, uh, to be a senior engineer, you need to be, uh, you need to kind of, be someone that your manager wants to promote to senior engineer, and that kind of sounds a bit tautological, but it's mm. um, most of the time a manager can't just click a button and say, okay, now you're a senior engineer because you knocked out this one project and we're good. Um, it's the, Your manager would need to sell the idea of promoting you to, uh, to his manager and the manager above that and the CEO or the or then sell it up to the investors. So one answer is your manager basically needs to like you and think that you're the kind of person that fits his, uh, his or her mindset of what a, uh, what a senior engineer should be. And mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other kind of ways that you can define it as well. Um, one, uh, one particular line that I see over and over again in so many senior engineer job descriptions is quote, unquote, go-to area in one, or go-to expert in one area of the code base. If you just mm. Google that phrase in quotes, you'll end up seeing like literally thousands of job listings for senior engineer positions.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So that's one where I kind of like sums up what I think of when I think of a uh, senior engineer is someone who can, someone who has one part of the code base where like they are the person who is more or less responsible for it. They're the ones that mm-hmm. are reviewing the code. Um, for the most part they can sign off on code and say that this is this code is good for this one particular area of the code base and mm-hmm. how big that area of the code base is kind of depends on the size of the company um, mm. i guess in bigger uh, in bigger companies you can have a senior engineer who's responsible for like a very small portion of the core or maybe responsible for a bigger portion of a uh, of kind of like a more ancillary project or even responsible for an ancillary project in its entirety Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of like one of the core responsibilities that I think of, but again, it kind of just comes down to, um, have you, uh, have you sold yourself well enough to your manager that you are a quote unquote senior engineer and that they should, uh, recognize your work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, okay. So yeah, that second part, the, like that ownership and responsibility, it's interesting. I, I think that is really, really important. Um, this this idea, and and this is me thinking about it more from a manager perspective. But the idea that I know that I don't have to be the one that's that's worried about things falling through the cracks, or I don't have to be the one worrying about whether or not something's going to happen, because I can trust that senior engineer to be personally responsible and and take ownership of that. And it's it's just really them who, who's going to be vigilant and uh, proactive about making sure that that's in a in a good in a good spot. Um, and so I think a lot of this comes down to can the person who you report to uh, trust you to make good decisions without taking up their time and uh, attention? You know, if they don't, if they don't really trust that you're going to be able to make good decisions and, and own something, then that's, that's more work for them. Um, and they're, they're not really going to view, they're not going to view that as, as more senior. Um, and I think that kind of ties into the the first point that you made, which is, um, you know, be the person that, that your manager would, would want to promote. Uh, what are yeah you know, in your experience like? What are those qualities that a manager wants to see before they they promote someone? Or do you find that that's just you know company specific?
1: A little bit company specific, but I think there are a few things that kind of span across companies. I think the fact that this one exact phrase shows up in thousands of job records is, uh, <laughs> yeah. is pretty good.
0: There you go. It's pretty
1: good kind of thing that tells you that this is something that a lot of people are looking for. Um, I think that phrase was just copied from like one sheet. I think it might've come from like, uh, do you remember kind of the old Google levels spreadsheet that made the mm-hmm. uh, the rounds? Yeah, I think it might've come from that. Um, but so for a good example is that Booster, kind of our first like real junior engineer hire. Um, we hired him just back when we had just kind of a backend team and like two or three like, quote unquote front end teams. And they were all, more or less one person maybe two um mm-hmm. so we hired him to work on our back end and kind of as uh, as he grew in maturity we gave him kind of the responsibility of okay you kind of own the uh the notifications kind of like the marketing notifications portion and at that point we started saying okay now we can start like thinking about promoting this person to being a senior engineer and i started pushing for him because in my mind it was pretty clear that okay you know he has a uh, he has responsibility and authority over this, uh, over kind of like the push notification portion of the code base. Um, people like me are contributing and asking for his code review. So mm-hmm. I think like, okay, that's the, uh, that's kind of where I can start saying this person should be a senior engineer.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there's certainly, certainly situations. Um, so, you know, I've got a number of clients um, and a number of teams, and occasionally I will, I will see Something in the code base, or or recognize an improvement, and and you know I certainly write a lot less code than I used to, but you know occasionally I'll I'll want to just add something quickly or or try and fix something quickly, and uh, I definitely rely on the engineers who are closer and more um you know dealing with that code more regularly uh, to have my code go through them, even if I'm quote unquote, more senior, it just, it just makes more sense to have somebody uh, close to it, own that, and then have things go through, through their, their review.
1: Yeah. As software systems grow, there's a lot of detail that goes into them and um, you need someone who can own kind of like smaller portions of the code base where they can understand kind of all the nuance that goes into uh, this particular piece of code.
0: Mm Mm-hmm yeah the devils devils usually in the in the details what's, I, you know i'm i'm thinking about this the the what's a what's a good way to to build up that that muscle of ownership and i can't help but but think that maintaining an open source project kind of in your experience is a is a pretty low risk way of getting into the habit of developing that that ownership is that something that you've thought about
1: yeah that's a very good point Owning an open source project definitely is a great way to practice having ownership over a portion of code, um, especially if it's a project that people already use. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to kind of work with uh, work with your users and having to be responsible for oh something's broken, can you please fix it um, that's kind of that's kind of a muscle that you need to build if you're going to have ownership over a portion of the code is uh, kind of being responsible for the uh for things going wrong if things mm-hmm. end up uh, things end up going wrong you need to kind of have both the uh you need to have both the kind of self responsibility to Go in and fix it, but also have the peace of mind to uh, to know that it's going to be okay. You're going to do your best, and uh, the world, the sun will rise tomorrow. So don't, uh, don't <laughs> lose your mind over it, and don't uh, even if you can't fix it now, don't think that you know you're going to get fired tomorrow and the world is going to end.
0: Totally, totally, yeah. I'm also I'm also thinking about uh sort of this other aspect of seniority which is that you you begin to you don't have to do things directly like if your communication is really strong and your awareness and your your ownership and and you know knowledge of like context of a particular project or area of of a project is is there then you're in a position to be able to to recruit someone more junior and kind of tell them what you want done, a little bit of, of how it can be done, uh, some, some landmines to watch out for. And I suppose another big part of this is to, to convince them why, why they want to, to do it. And I think seeing those types of behaviors is an excellent marker of seniority. Um, uh, well, leadership, really. Uh, you don't, it's, it's this beginning to be able to, to get things done, um, without doing it yourself, which of course leads to being able to do things more, more in parallel, but also a little bit of that force multiplier that you were talking about before. Um, you've got good enough communication and you know how to do something, um, and you can combine those two to have someone else do it, uh, that can work out really well. Um, do you find yourself uh, doing that with, um, you know, was there a particular part of your career where, where you found yourself doing that more? Is that something that you do?
1: So I tend to be more of a hands-on. I like to be, a, I'm more of an independent contributor or individual contributor than like a manager type. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of like to say that I've kind of also dipped my hat and uh, put myself into being a mentor more as well kind of for more junior mm-hmm. engineer engineers. But I think I kind of teach them, or I've kind of taught them both a little bit of like both the technical knowledge and kind of encouraging them to figure it out themselves. But also, I guess figuring out yourself as a soft skill. So I guess like kind of two of the soft skills that I've tried to teach kind of the junior engineers that I've um, that I've worked with. Um, mm-hmm. first of all is, uh, always, uh, always stay calm no matter what, uh, no matter what you <laughs> see happening. <laughs> um, Don't I, panic. I know it's like junior engineers who first start to take responsibility over portions of the code. When, uh, when something goes wrong, they get very anxious and, uh, you know, the, the more anxious you get and the more freaked out you get that something is going wrong, the deeper of a hole you're ticking for yourself. Yeah. So you kind of yeah. just need to like, it's, it's kind of like a fine line, you know, like they say in sports, never too high, never too low. Just be like, mm-hmm. just, uh, just anxious enough that you uh, that you're kind of like more engaged, but also don't let the anxiety overwhelm you and kind of like get you to the point where you're uh, where you just need a glass of wine. <laughs> see, yeah, another skill um, yeah, that skill I taught the uh, teaching uh, junior engineers was um, was again kind of like promoting yourself a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I did for my interns at MongoDB was. Well, the last time I managed in terms of law, maybe it was uh, 2015, I think. I actually kind of um, encouraged them and well, basically told them that they're giving a talk at the end of the summer at a meetup. Mm. And uh, well, they uh, they were not very happy about that. They were a little terrified. <laughs> but it was one of those things where, like, this is a skill that you just got to build. It's muscle that you got to work on. Um, you'll, uh, you'll thank me for this later. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah um giving talks. I mean I I certainly uh, wholeheartedly recommend that um, might be a little bit biased um, from from organizing JSLA. Uh, but you know I, I I think that is that is certainly one of the hallmarks if you if you look out on the internet, you you're reading blogs, you're you're seeing these, uh, developers who have large audiences who 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 are thought leaders um, one of the things that that they have in common is that they often give a lot of talks they they are putting themselves out there they are out there trying to help other developers by sharing what they know um, teaching how to do things um, sharing their their perspectives and you know that's not. That's not an easy thing to do. Um I think that's that's something that we've we've uh covered on the show a little bit which is that that's a very common number one fear is public speaking. But it's not a permanent one. Uh it may never go away uh the 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 nervousness, but you can develop that skill, you can build that muscle of of just learning how to deal with it. And I, for me, the, the fear does diminish, um, from, from emceeing and, and giving talks. Uh, I'm a lot more comfortable with it now and that comfort definitely translates to, uh, a business setting. Um, uh, professionally, I think, I think that comfort of speaking, um, sharing your ideas in a confident manner is really good for, uh, uh, demonstrating leadership, or at least uh, competency, when when deciding on particular approaches. And what's nice about meetups is is you that's just something that you can you can do. Uh, you can you can approach particular meetups and offer to give a talk. And as someone who organizes a meetup, that's that's usually welcome. Um, it's it's difficult to find. Uh, speakers. Uh, And, and a lot of these events, conferences, meetups, they're, they're generally looking. So that's, that's something that you can, you can, um, you can focus on. And I think that that helps a lot. So how did your, how did your interns do? They did
1: very well. I was very proud of them. (laughs) It, they uh, they worked with MongoDB's public speaking coach, so they uh, so it wasn't all. Me. Oh, they, cool! Uh, they had some help, but on the other hand, I just you know I just encouraged them and basically told them that like this is gonna be hard, but it's gonna be fine. And um, even if you completely bomb it, what's the worst that's gonna happen, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, one thing like one thing that I've kind of found that's good for public speaking is like a little bit of uh, exposure therapy. Like let's say. Mm a story that kind of came up in a book that I've been reading um, atomic habits by James clear. Oh, heard? I love
0: that book. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show. notes. There
1: was uh, there was one little story that he had about, uh, about Steve Martin, how Steve Martin got started in comedy. He was, um, he was giving like one to two minute comedy routines as fillers for other comedians, basically.
0: Like, mm-hmm. you know,
1: one comedian goes off, uh, like 15 year old Steve Martin comes on stage and kind of like gives a couple minutes of, uh, Uh, not so good jokes Mm -hmm. to people who don't really care while the next comedian gets ready. (laughs) So I think, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of meetups do lightning talks, which is just like a great low risk way to just get yourself, uh, get yourself a little bit exposed to public speaking. It takes, Mm -hmm. you know, you give like a five minute talk, um, you know, if it doesn't go so well, well then it's not a, it's not like the headliner talk of the night. So it's not really gonna, it's not gonna impact you too badly. Yeah, um, but then it's also something that like you gotta realize that you know you uh you you the anxiety of public speaking is always there. Like um, I was giving a uh, I gave like a thirty minute talk at for the local code school here in Miami, uh wind code, about a couple of a uh, couple of weeks ago. And, like when I was done with the talk, I like realized that I was sweating. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't just the uh, the sweltering Miami heat. Like I was uh, still pretty <laughs> nervous, but you know, it's like. Anxiety is always kind of there. It gets a little bit better, but I think it's more like you just end up getting used to it and saying, like, okay, this is uh, this is scary, but it's also okay. Um, mm-hmm. I think another interesting metaphor that I've thought about a lot is that um, the have like from a neurological perspective, um, the difference between fear and excitement is not very much, or the difference between anxiety and excitement. Like, um, mm-hmm. If you do a brain scan of someone who says they're feeling really excited and a brain scan of someone that's feeling very anxious, they actually come out pretty similar. And the difference yeah. is kind of more like the person that's feeling excited is feeling a little anxious, but they also kind of know like they can uh, that they can handle it. So it's something where it's mm-hmm. just like you're, you're able to kind of like regulate the anxiety and cope with it. And then you're like, okay, this is exciting.
0: Yeah, there's actually a really um, interesting study uh, about that. Um, so the way that it works is that you've got the, the participant who's, who's in the study. Um, they, they actually don't know what the real study is. They think it's it's trying to measure the effect of some vitamin or, or something on their eyesight. And so they, they get injected with the vitamin. And uh, I think it was injections, but maybe it was a pill. Either way, they're in the waiting room waiting for their for what they think is the eye exam. And in the waiting room is an actor. Uh, and that actor uh acts differently depending on which group that they're in. And so uh the the vitamin that they take, I think it's B vitamins. And so it just it generally has this effect of making you very amped, but it's it's emotionally neutral. And what what happens is if they have an actor that gets really angry and starts, you know, complaining about something and like kicking chairs or whatever, uh, the participant who they're actually, who's in the experiment, when they ask them later about how they're feeling, like they get pulled into the, you know, whatever, the eye exam, and they've got the questionnaire of like, how are you feeling? Uh, if the actor was angry, they're going to say that they were angry. They are interpreting that arousal, that excitement as anger and then you know they do the same thing with like anxiety or, or whatever and so what can often happen is that when you're giving a talk um, it's very it's very exciting it, it gets you amps um and it's it's a little bit up to us how we want to attribute the emotion to that and so it could be fear it could be anxiety but it could just be general excitement or um you know just you're you're ready to rock and that's what that energy is and so it's really cool that you you brought that up val because that's one of my favorite experiments that show how much control we have over our emotions and that they're not as fixed as as we think they are and and i think that can be pretty helpful for people doing this because uh, I, you know, if, if, if giving a talk to however many people isn't exciting, well then, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. That just means that, that that's, uh, you know, a low bar for you now and you can, you can step it up. But I think there's always going to be that level when you're challenging yourself that it will be exciting, uh, or, you know, arousing or, uh, get you amped. And, uh, you do have some choice about how you want to interpret that, that emotion. Um, so, uh, you know, before we wrap up, uh, we were talking about interns and, and juniors. Uh, it seems like today, uh, some people, some people I talked to who are just starting out, they seem to say that they're, they're having a hard time that when a position opens, um, they're having trouble getting noticed. Is there any advice that you would give for people who are just starting out now and and trying to, to get into tech?
1: So. Starting an open source project or working on an open source project, I think is a great way to get noticed. Um, related to just the talk that we had about giving talks, like that's also mm-hmm. a great way to promote your project. A lot of people I've seen, again, they, uh, they build an open source project, they go give talks about it at meetups. It's a great way to kind of get yourself noticed and put yourself out there. Um, availability bias is something that can really work in your favor. Availability bias just generally means like if, like let's say that you know person X is someone who you've read a lot of their tutorials on React. If you look at if you look at person X's resume, you're probably more likely to think like, "Oh, this person is good at React because I know all about them in the React community." Mm-hmm. So that's kind yeah. of an underrated trick. Is um, is kind of like blogging, giving talks can make you uh, can make you give you recognition and therefore make you much more likely to uh, to get your resume pulled out of a pile. Um, also, uh, kind of like on a different kind of like more of, uh, well, on a more um, on a more kind of um, pump you up note. Uh, well, when I graduated college, I, uh, I applied for 18 jobs and only got two offers. So uh, but, uh, it's perfectly normal, or who knows, maybe mm-hmm. I was just a bad applicant, but uh, it's not <laughs> uncommon for people to, uh, to kind of put a lot of resumes out there and not get much in return. Often right. you're, especially if you're applying for like a small startup. Often your resume is going into a black hole. Um, I guess another, <laughs> uh, another story related to that. Um, uh, before I started at Booster, kind of a few months before I even like uh, even before I got the call to kind of like see if I could start working at Booster, um, I sent in my resume to uh, Segments. The uh, I'm sure you've heard of Segment, the company that kind of like multiplexes your events to uh, to different analytics warehouses, right? just got acquired. By yeah, Twilio. Totally. So, uh, so I applied for a job at segment and, uh, I didn't hear back from them for six months. And it just turns out it was because, um, the person who, uh, who was looking at resumes had left shortly before I sent in my resume and then they hired someone else a little while later. And that person, it took them forever to catch up on the backlog of resumes. So yeah, yeah your, your resume. So it's not, it's not uncommon for your resume to just like go into a black hole where no one will even see it, let alone, uh, let alone, you know, getting, uh, getting turned down. So there's, uh, there's some difficulty there with uh, applying for jobs, but don't get discouraged. Um, keep trying, keep putting yourself out there and, uh, if it's not working. Try something a little different, you know, try giving a talk. Who knows?
0: <laughs> <Here's>, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. This, I think that's all, that's so all another, fantastic uh, advice. Another
1: related story to that, that I wanted to, Discuss was like how I got my job at MongoDB, right? Um, yeah, I had uh, I had left my high frequency trading job, so like I wasn't really so I was like kind of dabbling in a lot of different things, and um, I ended up randomly just going to a uh, to a fintech hackathon in uh, kind of middle early part of 2013, closer to the middle of 2013, and um, you know I I kind of didn't really want to go, but like my friends who who were going to hackathons with me at the time really insisted. We like did some Bitcoin stuff, and uh, with the Bitcoin stuff, I ended up uh, meeting one of the judges who was uh, who was like a direct like someone who was doing like developer relations or something like that at MongoDB. So like you know mm-hmm. we uh, we got to know each other, and uh, before I knew it, this person was saying, "Come work at MongoDB here. We'll uh, we'll put your resume at the top of the pile. Let's uh, let's do this." I'm like, "Oh okay, thank you very much. This is awesome." <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, just networking and developing relationships with people—that's um, that's huge. Uh, so many times you can just skip so much dumb process and having your resume lost or not looked at it just by becoming friendly with someone at a at a company. So uh, Val, this has been awesome. Uh, where can people find out more about you online? Um,
1: let's see—you can follow me on Twitter. Um, My Twitter handle is codebarbarian with an underscore between the code and barbarian. Um, You can find me on GitHub. I am vcarpop15 on GitHub. Um, I'm also blogging at masteringjs.io and thecodebarbarian.com. So check out my blogs.
0: Yeah. All right, Rad. I will put all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, David. This has been fun. Awesome.
0: All right, folks. Well, who knows? It might have
1: it. just been anxiety that I've masked as fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.junior-to-senior.io.